Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Raw Paulette digs cathedral-like eighth wonders of the world archives in the sandstone cliffs of northern New Mexico. Each creation takes some years to complete, and each is a masterwork. But patrons who have commissioned the caves have cut off nearly all of his projects due to artistic differences. Fed Up Raw has, has chosen to forego commissions altogether and create a massive 10-year project he calls his magnum opus. The film is Cave Diggers. It's a uh, Cave Digger, pardon me, and it is an Academy Award-nominated film in the short program for um, documentaries. And we are joined today by the director of Cave Digger, Jeffrey Karoff. Jeffrey, welcome to Film School. Thank you very much for having me. And I, I believe I should have said Karoff, and I uh, apologize. Karoff, yeah. for, I apologize for that. Um, it is a terrific documentary, um, and I Thank really, you very much. yeah, I really enjoyed it a lot. I had no idea. There's a lot of circumstances that kind of came together uh, for. Raw to be able to do what he does. Obviously, the location had a great uh, uh, influence on his ability to dig these caves. But I've never heard of this before. I've never. I'm not familiar at all with someone going in and creating a cave for the purpose of whatever purpose that was commissioned for. It's just a whole new uh, realm, and that's the beauty of documentaries. Tell me, uh, Jeffrey, a little bit about how you got to know uh, Raw and and the process by which you decided you wanted to move forward with the documentary. Well, we uh, have a house in northern New Mexico in the town where Rod does his work. And when we were meeting people in the community, it's a tiny, tiny community, uh, which it's so small that it has a, a, a pancake breakfast fundraiser for the volunteer fire department. There you go. And we sat down next to two people who uh, turned out to feature prominently in the film, Shell and Liz, um, and we introduced ourselves, and they, one of the things they revealed was, oh, we're having this uh, cave. We've commissioned this cave for our property. Uh, would you like to see it? And, I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's a total uh, shock to walk into that cave because I had the image of a cave that almost everybody has, um, dark and yeah. uh, primitive and um, walking up there in their land and approaching the mountain, uh, there's suddenly a door in the side of the mountain, which is, uh, you know, a kind of a wondrous thing to see in and of itself. And then the entrance to their cave is it's made somewhat like a Frank Lloyd Wright structure in that it's kind of low mm -hmm. when you walk in in the, in the entryway, and then it opens up into this grand uh, sky-lit um, naturally lit space that's all carved and beautifully flowing and Gaudi-esque and it was it was a stunning moment yeah, and it looks uh, like that when in the film I mean that's one of the beautiful things about Cave Digger is uh, the it's an impressive structure but you've been able to really give it uh, the, uh, the its due in terms of the way that you film uh, it, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad that you feel that way. And and I did. I did think that the uh, that the caves would naturally lend themselves to film. <clears throat> Although I did shoot some stuff on 3D at some point because um, I, I thought this. Is there any better way to put you in the space than doing this with 3D? Um, and the 3D shots were beautiful, but <clears throat> the truth is is that it's very difficult to release it. And I used uh, half of that um, of the one side of the 3D 
images in the film, but um, I'm still waiting to figure out how to <laughs> release the 3D portions of it. Well, I imagine that really does give that perception, that depth perception that you're talking about in walking into those cases. I'm sure it's beautiful. It is. It really is. And that moment that, uh, that I had walking into Shell and Liz Cave, I replicated that exact feeling and that exact uh, point of view in the film. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that that and it uh, again, it's it's just a, a stunning uh, look to it. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about the story. I don't want to give too much away. I think this okay. is I think this is something uh, that uh, uh, people should see. But for me, having again, I've never heard of such a thing as someone that would go out and and dig caves. Well, you've never heard of it probably because nobody's really ever done it. Okay. Not that I'm aware of and not that Ra's aware of. People, of course, have dug caves, primitives have dug caves, and there are a lot of uh, examples of that uh, existing in the world today. And there are a lot of natural caves that people have carved the walls of mm-hmm. or carved into the walls. But I don't think that we know of anybody else that has started from scratch, just a mountainside, and uh, created it, um, cre- created the space, and then carved the space. Yeah, I mean, we obviously are familiar with the, the famous caves of France and all the parts of the world right. where, pe- where primitive civilizations uh, took up residence, and, right. and we, we know of that. But yeah, this is uh, <laughs> it's a new a new animal to me, and. Um, now the the subject himself, Rob Paulette, who is the man who who goes in and carves these cathedral-like caves, um, is an obsessive character. I think face safe to, safe to say he's a pretty obsessive. Safe to say, yes. Face to say, <laughs> self-described. Yeah, <laughs> obsessive character, and and obviously driven by the the voices in his own uh, head about how to go about doing things, and that's part of the tension in the film. But. Uh, um, easy to work with in terms of did he have his own idea of what the, your film was going to look like or be like or was he a, an agreeable subject of the film I, he was completely agreeable um, actually he had had such difficulty with some of his patrons uh, and it was a it had been a kind of a wounding experience to him a lot of that which is you know uh, captured in the film um, that he was determined not to do that to me Mm-hmm. And he said to me several times in the course of making the film, <clears throat> this is your film. You're, this film is going to be what you want it to be, and uh, and it should be. So I'm available to you. You tell me what it is you need, and then make the film that you want to make. Yeah, and, and by my question, I didn't mean to imply that he, he seems like a very nice man, very intelligent, obviously. Uh, you know, he just has this, as, a sense as an artist of a certain way of doing things, but... So he, he as in the making the film, it sounds like very agreeable uh, in that regard. Um, what were yeah, but you know, to your point, though, I think it depends on on who you are to him. I think that mm-hmm. um, you know you may have a different feeling if he was working for you. You may feel like some of his patrons felt, which is, why is this going on forever and ever? Why is why am I spending more and more money on this thing? Even though he was getting paid like a you know a laborer's wage. Um, I feel that when I was talking to some of the people who had commissioned caves who were didn't end up all that happy with Ra, that I could understand their point of view. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I, I think that there's a lot of depth in, in this uh, documentary. We, we do in, in, 
and we see the relationships he has with people, friends and, and ex-wives and, and, his, and his clients. And they all they have a very particular point of view about him. But again, he is a very um, inviting kind of subject as well. He, he, is a, he, he has, um, as I said, an intelligence about him. But just the idea that somebody in the opening scene, I don't think I, this is giving anything away about the film. In the opening scene, we see him essentially with a wheelbarrow strapped to his back walking up the side of a, a mountain. Yeah. And that gives you, I think that frames this story in a very effective way. This is a guy that, uh, you know, he, to be, just to do that, it, it takes some level of determination that I don't think a lot of us would have in that. Yeah, and I think that that's very clearly what distinguishes him from uh, from the rest of us. Um, the, his determination, his his physical strength is pretty astounding. He was the strongest person on our tiny crew. Often we would give him the heaviest bags to tote up the mountain, even though he was, you know, twice the age of anybody else. So. Yeah. We're speaking with the director of the Academy Award nominated short documentary film called Cave Digger. That would be Je- Jeffrey Karoff. And uh, your first foray into the world of film directing. Um, Tell me a little bit about the the most significant challenges that you faced in 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 that regard. Um, I mean, probably the the most significant challenges uh, had to do with the fact that I was in Los Angeles the whole time and he was in New Mexico. And this is this the making of a cave is not something that happens over a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as if I could go to New Mexico for two or three weeks or, and then go back for two or three weeks and finish the film. Things uh, transpired over long periods of time. So that was challenging. One of the ways that I dealt with that is that I uh, left Raw with a, um, a time-lapse camera and then eventually a GoPro, and I told him, uh, showed him how to use both of those things. Mm-hmm. And he would set up shots. Uh, he would hike up into the mountain, work on his caves, and he would set up time-lapse shots. And some of that footage made it into the film, uh, especially at the beginning. And that was really useful in terms of capturing his process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is a, you see a lot of the uh, that exact, what you're talking about, seeing how he goes about the actual sort of day-to-day grind of doing what he does. He has no formal training as an architect, but he has a sense of, uh, architectural style and design, it, and his his caves tend to reflect that consistent, sort of a consistent look. Is that a, f- a fair statement? It is, and, and and I can't really understand it myself because he doesn't come from an artistic background. Hmm. He he wasn't a person who um, did arty things in early in his life. Uh, I mean, he he seems to have come on this thing. Uh, completely formed somehow um, in later in his life, in his 40s. He yeah. just discovered his aesthetic side and invented this new art form for himself. It's, it's all very peculiar. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend, described him as a, a kind of a genius, which is a word that I don't really like very much because it's overused, but maybe in the sense... Uh, it, it fits in the sense that what he um, what he can do he can't teach to anybody else. It works entirely on an intuitive uh, level. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that you can face, if you imagine yourself standing and facing a mountainside and saying, "Okay, I'm going to 
begin to dig and I'm going to find a floor here and then I'm going to imagine space unfolding in front of me in all directions, um, left, right, uh, upward, and keeping a level floor while I'm doing this. Uh, He says he's tried to teach other people to do it, but they can't really do it. They They don't have his innate sense. It's something instinctive in him. And it's interesting that in in, uh, one other point in the film, he describes it, uh, one of the more important things he does in trying to, when he does these caves, is find the floor. That's one of the first things he says he tries to do. Yeah, find the floor. It's an odd idea, isn't it? Yeah, and I I guess what he's saying, I'll just extrapolate a bit and say that he is essentially letting nature, the natural terrain itself, he's trying to find that. Yeah, I mean, it is, as I say yeah, it out loud, it just sounds... explain, right? Yeah, but I, yeah. I think that he actually means that he has to find a base that may, or, that may be something that's related to nature, but may be just um, something that fits more uh, with, the, with the form of the mountain. Well, in order for me to put the cave inside this shape of this mountain peak and to have it fit properly, the floor has to be about here. Yeah, and that takes a kind of a, a three-dimensional sensibility. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. Which, which is peculiar. And I just for our listeners, um, this is these are pretty significant caves. These are not something that, as a kid, you might have carved out of the side of a hill that you lived in a canyon area, and, and you and your buddies could kind of sit in. If you squatted down, you could sit inside. These are significant. Uh, structures and and they go on. I'm not sure exactly how far back into the mountains that some of them go, but uh, they're, they're pretty big. And uh, one of the caves that's um, that's featured early on is um, is a kind of is multi level. It has stairs. It has a yeah. loft with a bed. That particular cave is actually uh, wired for electricity yeah. and is plumbed. And uh, and uh, strangely, uh, Ra did an addition on that cave a year later and added a bathroom. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we're speaking with the director of Cave Digger, an Academy Award-nominated short film documentary. It's up for the 2014 Academy Awards. And congratulations. By Thank the way. you. Thank you very much. What was that like on that Tuesday morning? Um, when did you watch it live, or did you? Where somebody call you up and say you want you're out, you know? What yeah, I had a colleague that was down there at the uh, at the academy, and they they announced them at like five thirty or five forty in the morning, mm-hmm. and she was down there, and she had told me, uh, you know, they don't announce the shorts on TV, so my wife and I were watching television, and they finished with all of the things that they were. Uh, they were going to announce, and um, my colleague had said, I'm going to text you yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, we just, after the TV announcements, we just sort of looked at the phone and waited, and then it buzzed, and, and I started videotaping, when, and I said to my wife, you know, you look. So she did, yeah. and she her eyes started welling up, and oh. she was it was it was great. I have it I have it all captured. That's wonderful. That's yeah. wonderful. And well, let's get a little bit into the the filmmaking part of this. This is after all film school. So uh, you you mentioned the GoPro, and mm-hmm. what was the other uh, camera you you, let, you trained? We on? shot it predominantly on the Canon five D on the five D Mark II. I, I will tell you, I get that is the most popular response I get. It's oh, a, really? apparently a pretty versatile camera. 
It is. I mean, the terrific thing about it, I mean, from the filmmaker's perspective, is that giant sensor that it has, which makes a, the depth of field really shallow. And I think we still have, even even now, in the in the very very digital age we're in, we still have a reference back towards film. Mm-hmm. So it makes it feel filmic, mm-hmm. um, and that, of course, coupled with the fact that it's so affordable, and the fact that it that it was affordable, that it is affordable, is the thing really that. Um, got me to make the film because the level of entry, the bar to entry, was so low. I mm-hmm. owned the camera already. My cameraman owned the camera. We owned the lenses, so we could just go out there any time and shoot when when we needed to without worrying about renting equipment. Yeah, and and I you know I, I mean it's it's a relatively easy learn. Is that I mean to to kind of you can figure it out pretty pretty quickly. I mean I'm sure there are, there are levels of of uh, expertise, but is yeah, that, you can. I, I would say, you know, and this is very technical stuff, but I would say the Canon 5D is not that easy of a camera to use mm. because it's not really designed for filmmaking. I, I, I have this feeling that Canon stumbled on this uh, video thing. Mm. Uh, it was not totally intentional to create an entire filmmaking community around this camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so its form factor is is like not good for filmmaking. You, there's no there's no decent way to put a follow focus on it. The mm. the viewfinder is um, it's too small on the back of the camera for to really do sharp focus. So in order to make it a really usable camera, you have to add all this stuff to it, and suddenly it becomes really big. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay, I didn't know yeah, that. You, it's like you have to add all this gear to it. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, uh, then when you don't need it then you don't if you're shooting wide then you know you it's not as fussy and um and you can do that and there was a lot of times when i was just using the camera by itself interesting i didn't know that but yeah so uh you can imagine uh, you know i know that lenses can get pretty pricey but um but you need, you know that's where i think you're describing it you need to get uh, a lot of additional equipment with it but uh but but it really i mean again a, a number of filmmakers you know consistently for the last three or four years i you know that asking this question and yeah, that, that's the most popular uh, popular camera. Yeah, it's the, the imagery, and it is pretty darn nice. Well, and I would say that in your film, I mean, it really is a sharp-looking film. And, oh, thank you. Yeah, and... Uh, I will tell my cinematographer you said so. <laughs> well, you, well, well-deserved. I mean, uh, it, just, it just comes up. And then um, uh, oftentimes this will come up in, in, in the difference between filming your documentary and then once you get to the edit room. Did it... Did it alter the, your perception once you saw what you had? Did you change the film in your mind as you progressed in the editing process? It, it didn't work exactly that way, but I will tell you that um, while I was shooting, I wasn't sure that I had a film. And that has to do with the fact that biography is not um, that conducive to, um, to proper structure. So I didn't have an event I didn't have a contest. Uh, there wasn't. Uh, there wasn't somebody who was graduating. It was nothing like that. It was okay. Here is a guy, and here's the work that he's doing. And I was. Um, I, I, it was hard for me to even figure out when to stop shooting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did figure it out when I started to uh, realize when I was reading the transcripts that I had asked. Uh, I was asking the same questions that I'd asked two years ago mm. and getting pretty much the same answers from him. Mm. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm done. <laughs> so yeah. I had an idea of what the shape of the story was and I put, um, and, and what the theme was. And I, 
I put that on the uh, on a I tacked it up on the wall of the edit bay. Talked to Erin Nordstrom, my editor, talked her through it, and she did an assembly. And after I looked at the first assembly, I thought, okay, it's here, it's here. There's a, there's a, a shape here. There's a story here. It it works, and I was I was delighted. But now, I, I mean, I really didn't know yeah. whether or not there was there, it, there was film there was a whole film there before that moment. Did did that process? Uh, influence you? Did you at any point feel like, well, I could turn this into a full-length documentary, or did you feel like, and it comes in at, I think, 38 minutes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a long time. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's not like a, it's a, it's a full, fully formed documentary, but did that process sort of influence you to go one direction or the other in terms of short, short form or a longer form? Did you? It fell into its own uh, okay. length, really. Okay. I, I had no intention of making a short film. I mean, it, I think in all ways it would have been better had it had it um, had a feature length. It's just easier to get your film seen and distributed yeah. when it's a feature. But uh, also, I, I'm pretty sensitive to, you know, boring people and boring myself, and, and I don't I see a lot of movies, um, especially documentaries, that I think, oh, there's 45 minutes of terrific material in here and then 45 minutes of material that <laughs> made it so that they could they could release a feature. And I, I, just, I, I wasn't that interested. I had a lot more material, but I wasn't interested in doing that. Well, and to, and to your point, I think that's an important point to be made. And, and you're right that the... the the uh, the marketplace is much more conducive to long form documentaries. And to your credit, yeah, I think I, it comes it, it it moves along. There's a there's a lot of material. There's there's enough material here for a solid forty minute documentary. But to your but yeah, you're right. The marketplace really kind of dictates. Well, it should be long form, and the platforms available to short films are not that many. No, uh, and and, uh, uh, and you know the only reason that there's a theatrical release of the film now is because of the nomination. Otherwise, it's you know you, <clears throat> the only place you can get your film seen is at festivals or online. Yeah, and I, I know that uh, I, I was earlier uh, talking with uh, Carter Pilcher, who who is a founder of uh, Shorts International. That's a platform as well, but it, it, it's tough. It's a very tough market. But I will say, and I I said this, I say this all the time, especially when the Academy programs come out for these different uh, short programs. These are some of the most interesting films that I'll see all year. I, I mean, really creative oh. stuff. Oh, that's great. And, that's uh, great. you know, it's just the marketplace just isn't built at this point for a theatrical release. Now, we just need to improve the platforms under which these films get a better run. And mm -hmm. I don't know how you monetize that. The Academy, I think, is doing a decent job of clustering them in, in as the Academy nominees to do that. Right. But it's a tough, it's a tough go. Right. When you figure that out, will you call me back? I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, me and my, my army of attorneys and accountants and, <laughs> and all the bankers that I'm going to make a lot, a lot of money for, I, well, I'll, we'll all call you back. But yeah, I just, I, I, it, I got to mean it. It's just, it's, these are great films and I, I look forward to this. Uh, now, um, the qualification for an Academy Award. What, what what's it, what is entailed? Help help our our listeners with that, or filmmakers. Is it in my category in documentary shorts? There's yeah. two ways that you can qualify. You can win specific awards at specific festivals, and those festivals are listed on the uh, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences site. Okay. Um, and there are different festivals and different awards for each category. Um, so, I think there's probably for short documentary maybe twelve. Or 12 or 15. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't 
get any of those awards. So I, um, the, the second opportunity is for you to forewall your picture at a theater in Los Angeles or New York, mm-hmm. which means it has to have a one-week run and uh, it has to, there's other parameters, certain times of day, it has to run, you have to take out an ad in the local paper and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to create a DCP, which is the format for, for theater projection. Um, and I mean, there's a, there's a checklist of mm-hmm. things that the Academy requires. And I went through that checklist, and I was in very close contact with them the whole way through because it's, they're really particular about it. And then when that was finished, I was able to submit my 40 DVDs to the Academy, um, they had uh, 40, ent- 40 films that qualified mm-hmm. for short documentary, and they called that to eight for the short list in October. And then, you know, they, they called that eight list to five uh, in a couple of weeks ago. Well, thank you. That, that's, a, that's a great explanation. I know oftentimes these things feel a little bit like uh, alchemy when you're, when you're yeah. talking with the... Uh, you know, to somebody about it, but uh, that, that, and I know it's it, there's a bit of an arcane nature to the way the academy goes about doing yeah, these things. Yeah, I would say that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, speaking of which, winner at the uh, the best non-European documentary at the uh, European Independent Film Festival, best uh, w- winner of the best short uh, aud- audience award for Maui Film Festival, best documentary short San Antonio Film Festival, best short at the New Newberry Port. Documentary Film Festival and a finalist at the uh, Best Documentary Short at the Guam International Film Festival. So it's an award-winning film. You're an, an Academy Award-nominated <laughs> film director. Uh, wow, you know, I mean, that's right. that's pretty. That is an, that's an incredible uh, uh, listing on, on anyone's resume. And uh, again, I, I think I identified you as this first-time director. Is that a fair? Was I fair to say that uh, you? Yeah, this is my first documentary. Uh, I'm. I'm not a novice director. I've yeah. been directing commercials for quite a long time yeah, and also directed uh, quite a lot of fundraising films in the documentary style mm-hmm. So uh, for philanthropic organizations. I did a lot of work for Robin Hood Foundation in New yeah. York, for instance. That's a huge nonprofit. I it, it's a huge nonprofit. Um, all those films, I'd say, were um, you know, agenda-focused. Even the documentaries were, you know, they had a purpose and they were in, at their core sales films. Um, so this is my first foray into something that was just about something that interested me, and um, there was there was nobody to please but myself. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I look forward. I hope uh, you you found enough uh, here and in, in interest in continuing to pursue this. Is uh, you know even if it's uh, just a. Uh, you know, a hobby, if you will. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, is this is this sort of inspired you to? Are you looking for another documentary project? I am actually, and actually, there, I'm uh, circling around a subject right now. I'm not. Uh, it's not developed enough to talk about. Sure. It, but yes, I, I am really interested in in continuing it. I mean, it's been it's been a pretty great journey. Yeah. And how long, just out of curiosity, how long did this project take you from start to finish? I started shooting this in January of 2010, and I finished at the end of 2012. I finished cutting at the end of 2012. So it was about two and a half years of shooting and a half year of cutting. Now, over that period of time, it was, I think I did only 14 days of shooting uh, over the two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the the editing just happened when the editor had time. Mm-hmm. So that's why it took so long to do. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those <clears throat> self-financed realities, <laughs> timeline yeah. realities. 
So, but you know, I, I did, I didn't tell you the story, but it started, the project started as a, a spec spot for my um, commercial reel. Mm-hmm. I had this idea to go and shoot Ra, who I had known for a while, and um, to create a one-minute spot that was for Canon. Uh, all 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 the images that you've just seen were shot with Canon cameras. Mm-hmm. So um, I did shoot that spot, and at the same time I was um, shooting for him a little film to raise awareness for this project that he was working on because he wanted to raise some money for it. Mm-hmm. So that was the quid pro quo there. Mm-hmm. And um, is this his magnum opus? Is that what you're the the, the magnum opus? Okay. And then um, I finished the spot. It came out really nicely, and I've used it a lot. Um, the uh, About seven or eight months later, there was an accident in that cave. And yeah. when I uh, spoke to him, um, like, s- several days later, and, you know, with my condolences about two years of work having been lost, um, he was already onto something else. He mm. was enthusiastically talking about his next project. And that was the thing that really propelled me to want to make the film because I thought this is a very peculiar guy. I just don't know anybody who's like this. Yeah. And I thought this is make up. He's a, he's worthy of something more than what I'd given it. And then I got on a plane with Angel Deca, my cameraman, um, about a week later and we started shooting in earnest the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's an energy coming off of uh, uh, raw pallet. It that uh, yeah, I could see why you'd be drawn to do a something with him. Well, I, it's been a pleasure. I, I I kept you on quite a bit longer than I expected, but really thoroughly and enga- en- uh, enjoyed our conversation. And um, Jeffrey Karoff, the director of an Academy Award nominated short documentary uh, uh, called uh, Cave Digger, uh, we can all watch uh, the Academy Awards. I believe it's uh, March second. And uh, looking forward to. I hope uh, hope to see you with the uh, with the the golden statuette uh, <laughs> on that day. So, thank you very much. That's thank, really kind. Thank you so much as well. Right. Take care. Good to, good to talk to you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.